Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the SAM's fourth quarter 2023 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants have been placed on a listen-only mode, and we will open the floor for your questions and comments following the presentation. It is now my pleasure to turn the floor over to Mr. Daniel Briggs, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations at SANS. Sir, the floor is yours. Thank you. Joining the call today are Rob Goldstein, our Chairman and CEO, Patrick Dumont, our President and Chief Operating Officer, Dr. Wilfred Wong, Executive Vice Chairman of SANS China, and Grant Chum, CEO and President of SANS China and EVP of ASA Operations. Today's conference call will contain four different statements. We'll be making those statements under the safe harbor provision of federal securities laws. The company's actual results may differ materially from the results reflected in those forward-looking statements. In addition, we'll discuss non-GAAP measures. Reconciliations to the most comparable GAAP financial measure are included in our press release. We have posted an earnings presentation on our website. We will refer to that presentation during the call. Finally, for the Q&A session, we ask those with interest to please pose one question and one follow-up. So we might allow everyone with interest the opportunity to participate. This presentation is being recorded. I'll now turn the call over to Rob. Thanks, Dan, and thanks for joining us today. Macau delivered $654 million of EBITDA for the quarter. The number would have been $40 million higher if we had held as expected in the rolling segment. It's only been one year since the end of COVID in Macau. We began in Q1 with $400 million of EBITDA. In Q2, we did $540 million. Q3, we did $630 million, and the growth just keeps coming. We look forward to continued growth in both gaming and non-gaming revenue, which will lift the entire market. SEL continues to own the largest share of non-rolling table win, rolling table win, and slot ETG win. Most importantly, we have the largest share of EBITDA in the cow market by a wide margin. We believe a completed London will meet and perhaps even exceed the earning power of the nation. Our future growth in Macau is tethered to these powerful assets, which will drive growth in the years ahead. Whether it's rooms, gaming capacity, retail, entertainment, food and beverage, we have stellar assets. Those assets will even get better as we complete the ongoing $1.2 billion Londoner reinvestment program. There has been ongoing speculation about the future growth of Macau. Can the Macau market grow to 30, 35, even $40 billion and beyond? We believe that it will. This underscores our confidence in the returns that we generate by capital investment programs in our portfolio. We are staunch believers in the growth of the Macau market in the near and long term. LVS has invested $15 billion in Macau to date. Macau is the most important land-based market in the world. A few reference points to consider. Fourth quarter EBITDA, assuming expected hold on rolling play, represents considerable growth when compared to the previous quarters. Our retail business in Macau has already far exceeded pre-COVID numbers. I continue to expect the gaming portion of our business to follow the same path as Singapore and accelerate in 2024. Let's pivot to MBS in Singapore. Seven quarters into our reopening, MBS delivered a $544 million quarter. This is the largest EBITDA for one quarter in the history of the building. The power of this building is evident based on the results despite the disruptive impact of our ongoing $1.75 billion renovation. Disruption notwithstanding, MBS is hitting on all cylinders with gaming, lodging, and retail perspective. Slots and ETGs at MBS are approaching a billion-dollar annual run rate. Non-rolling tables are exceeding $20 million of a drop per day. ADRs are escalating and the retail component is delivering far beyond pre-COVID numbers. 
NDS validates that quality assets prevail and that reinvesting in our assets will generate sustained returns. MBS has it all, an iconic building with superb decor and service levels which attract the most desirable customers in every segment. At the completion of both phases of the renovation program, MBS will feature 770 suites. We previously had less than 200 suites. There is no denying its future. How far can MBS go? Our future expectation starts with $2 billion and beyond in EBITDA per year. As you know, we're bidding for a license in New York. We're receiving strong local support. The cost of the building will be in the $6 billion range, which enables us to develop a true five-star resort with unlimited appeal. This is a massive opportunity. We are very enthused about the prospect. Our bid is compelling. If we receive the license, we'd be in the ground as quickly as possible. Thank you for joining us today. I'll turn the call over to Patrick before we move on to Q&A. Thanks, Rob. We wanted to highlight some changes in the materials that we typically provide for the quarter. After discussions and review with the SEC, we will no longer be presenting hold normalized adjusted property EBITDA in our press releases, SEC filings, and supplemental earnings materials. These changes are being made to our materials for this quarter and for our reporting going forward. We believe that the analysis of our financial and operating results in any quarter will continue to benefit from an understanding of the impact of expected hold in our rolling volume segments for our reported results. We will continue to provide the impact of expected hold in our rolling volume segments for our earnings materials. Please see pages six and seven in our earnings presentation for an overview of the new presentation format. For this quarter, the quarter ended December 31, 2023, we generated 654 million of adjusted property EBITDA in Macau, a very strong operating result. It is important to note that we held 2.16% in our rolling segment in Macau. EBITDA would have been higher by 40 million in Macau had we held as expected in our rolling segment. At Marina Bay Sands for the fourth quarter of 2023, we generated 544 million in adjusted property EBITDA, another strong result. We held 4.57% in our rolling segment in Singapore. EBITDA would have been lower by 71 million in MBS had we held as expected in our rolling segment. It is also important to address our margin structure had we held as expected in our rolling volume segments in Macau and Singapore. In Macau, our margins in the fourth quarter of 2023 would have been 35.9%, an improvement of 100 basis points as compared to the third quarter of 2023 if our hold was as expected in our rolling volume segment. At MBS, had we held as expected in our rolling volume segment, our fourth quarter 2023 margin would have been 48.8%, an increase of 170 basis points sequentially. It's important to note that both in Macau and at Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, we are generating revenue growth, EBITDA growth, and when considering expected hold for our rolling volume segments, margin expansion. We are very focused on the quality of our offerings, on further investment to drive high value visitation to our properties, on the resulting revenue growth, and on margin expansion over time. Looking ahead, we are excited about our progress in our markets, and we are focused on growth for the long term. Let's move to the Q&A portion of our call. Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the floor is now open for questions. If you would like to enter the queue to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad now. If listening on speakerphone today, please pick up your handset to provide optimum sound quality. Also, we ask 
Ask participant to limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please hold a moment while we poll for questions. And your first question today is coming from Joe Graff from J.P. Morgan. Joe, your line is live. Please go ahead. Um, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Hi, Joe. Um, uh, obviously, the, uh, the the premium mass uh, had a, a significant sequential growth uh, and exceeded the the base mass. I was just hoping, can, can you talk about the progression of, of of base mass recovery throughout the fourth quarter? And then clearly what we're, we're seeing out of information for the Macau market as a whole in, in January month to date uh, is nice overall mass growth uh, pickup. Uh, and as you said before, Rob, uh, the, the growth uh, keeps coming. I was hoping if you can talk about sort of the relative performance of base mass in January and, and if we're seeing uh, this hopefully uh, anticipated pickup in, in that mass segment. Thanks, Joe. As you know, we don't comment on, on the current uh, quarter. Uh, the numbers speak themselves, though. The, uh, the market appreciation now in January thus far has been published. It's very encouraging, doesn't it? A continuation of December. As for our performance in Q4, I'll turn to the grant to talk about the acceleration of base and premium mass grant. Yes, Rob, thank you. Uh, yes, Joe, the, the segment um, differential growth in the fourth quarter, we had 13% growth in premium mass. Um, and 8% growth sequentially on base mass. So I think base mass was progressing nicely through the quarter. It's just that premium mass had, had a great uh, performance uh, that exceeded that. Uh, if you look at the visitation trends during the fourth quarter, uh, Macau actually recovered to almost 90% of 2019 levels on visitations. So I think the base mass is continuously progressing and building up uh, transport infrastructure the transportation infrastructure has been improving. Um, I think the demand to come, uh, I think the, the desire to, to take advantage of the non-gaming events uh, that have been coming on stream uh, across our properties, but across the whole industry, uh, have been very effective. So I think you should expect uh, that, that growth pattern to, to continue. Grant, is it fair to say also, Grant, just want to ask, is it fair to say transportation and visas, the whole lubricant that supplies the market into Macau is getting better year after COVID? It seems to me as if the ability to get there, the desire is there, but also the ability to get there is improving daily. Is that fair to say? Yes, the ability to get there has been improving, um, but the desire, desirability of the destination is even clearer. Um, you yeah. can see that domestic flight to um, mainland uh, key Greater Bay Area airports has all but fully recovered. Um, and if you look at our ferry uh, statistics, uh, passengers that we carried in fourth quarter recovered to 93% of uh, pre-COVID, uh, but on only 52% of our sailing capacity. So, so clearly people are, are um, enthusiastic about coming, um, even though the the transportation capacity uh, is still recovering. Uh, and that's also clear, um, very gratifyingly, the overseas, the foreign visitation uh, recovered uh, dramatically in fourth quarter, especially from Southeast Asia. Um, and that's great to see from Macau. Uh, and that's despite the direct flights from foreign countries into Macau um, haven't, haven't recovered um, even by, I think, 60% uh, in the fourth quarter versus pre-COVID. But the, the visitation now 
is getting back up to 80-90% of what it was before, uh, despite the, the, the flight connectivity uh, still still catching up. Great. And then my follow-up question. Hey, hey Joe, it's, uh, hey, 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 Joe, before the follow-up, one thing important to note also, it's been a while since we talked about this, but we actually have capacity to absorb base mass business as it continues to come into the market. So, you know, when you think about the property portfolio that we have, the investment that we've made uh, in terms of amenities, the tourism attraction for the base mass customer, the ability to service that customer in terms of food and beverage, shopping, entertainment, but also the fact that we have the capacity as that market continues to grow will be the beneficiary of that. And it's important to note because the market is not at capacity yet. So as more visitors come in in this base mass segment, we'll have the ability to absorb it. Sorry, what's your next question? Uh, my next question is for you, Patrick. Um, obviously, it's nice to see uh, half a billion dollars of, of buyback activity this past quarter. Do you view that as a sustainable level, uh, unless there's some uh, huge volatility in, in, in the share price level? You know, you know, I think there was, uh, you know, I think there was some activity during the quarter. And, and to be fair, I think we looked at the 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 share price levels as an opportunity. When we think about our future capital return. Um, as we said before, we kind of expect our share of purchases will be more heavily weighted than the past. And, and so I think we fundamentally believe in the long-term value of share of purchases, the benefit of the compounding, the benefit of the share shrink, shrinking that denominator. In terms of amount, I think we're going to be measured across time. You know, if you, if you sort of look at our balance sheet, you look at the free cash flow we generate, we're going to look to be aggressive when we can. And I think we're going to run a program where we look to uh, acquire shares consistently over time. But I think it, it, you know, I don't know that we'll necessarily buy the same amount that we bought in this quarter going forward every quarter. Okay. Uh, and then one final thing. Congratulations, Grant, on uh, on your promotion. That's all for me. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Stephen Grambling from Morgan Stanley. Stephen, your line is live. Please go ahead. Even your line is live, please, uh, you may go ahead with your question now. Hey there, sorry, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Sorry about that. So um, you may have touched on this a little bit, but as we think about the, the renovations coming up for the remainder of Sands Cotex Central slash the Londoner, can you just maybe help contextualize how that will compare to the, the first renovation, both in terms of disruption and then contribution? Yeah, I think we'll turn over to Grant for that comment. Grant, Londoner. Sure, thanks, Rob. Uh, thanks for the question, Steve. I mean, I think we can say in terms of the timeline, we've already commenced uh, the renovation of the Sheraton Hotel, um, and that will continue uh, through the whole of 2024 um, and will hopefully complete uh, sometime in the first quarter of 2025. Um, and yes, there could be some impact from construction uh, disruption, uh, especially as we go into the, the second half of the year. Uh, and that a little bit depends on when the works are approved to commence uh, on the Sheraton side of the casino floor, um, and also as well as the, the number of keys um, that, that will be out at any given time at the Sheraton. Um, that said, I think We'll be managing this whole um, process just as we did uh, in the first phase uh, when we converted the Holiday Inn 
into in, into the Londoner starting in 2019. Uh, so so we'll be we'll be well used to um, yielding the rest of the portfolio. Uh, as you know, the um, the yields we're getting uh, at the Sheraton side of the building um, is is lower than the rest of the portfolio. Um, so we, we will be trying to um, uh, you know not miss any opportunity. Um, to to yield uh, the rest of the portfolio whilst the works are, are going on, uh, and this is something that we've been doing uh, throughout these uh, existing building renovations. Um, right now, the schedule is, is still a little bit fluid, uh, just pending some statutory approvals. Uh, but at this point, our expectation is um, the first half will will be relatively normal, uh, and then expect to see some disruption. Uh, into the second half, uh, but then by 2025, uh, we're going to be in, in a dramatically uh, elevated and different position uh, in terms of the entire Londoner. Uh, you asked about the phase one and phase two uh, contribution. Um, well, we we have we have done um, the bulk of the work uh, in the public areas and the externals uh, facade um, in the phase one and and uh, and the retail mall. And one of the two casino floors, uh, but we, we only touched um, 1,000 uh, keys uh, out of the uh, the 6,000 that we have. So um, the main difference is that phase two is going to address uh, the majority of the hotel uh, inventory in terms of renovation, uh, and of course um, the other main gaming floor that we have on the Sheraton side. Stephen, just to follow on Grant's comments, I, I understand the market's concerned about London disruption. It's a valid point. However, two thoughts for you. One is that uh, I think if the market continues to accelerate like we're seeing in January market numbers, <clears throat> perhaps we can overcome that by using other assets in the portfolio. But secondly, to Grant's comment, I think when you see the eventual transformation of London, it will be a juggernaut on par with the Venetian or beyond. So it gives us two assets we think can probably make $3 billion by themselves. And while there's disruption in 24, 25 and beyond gives us something that's unique in that market. The number one and two assets are number one and one assets in that market for years to come. So there may be some disruption, but maybe market force can overcome that. But I think the end result is well worth the pain. That, that, that's all super helpful. Maybe an unrelated follow-up on, on Singapore. Looking at least at the visitation data, it, 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 it seems like it was mixed at best, but yet you're, you're still seeing that market grow sequentially from an EBITDA standpoint, revenue. I guess what are you seeing from China customers coming back to the market? Any initial reason in how we should be thinking about that building into next year? Well, first uh, thing about I'm happy to give it. Oh. oh, go ahead, Rob. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Patrick. I'll follow yours. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think the key thing about Singapore is it's really about quality of tourism. So we've been very focused on investment. If you heard us over the last couple of calls and what our investment thesis is, that the higher quality assets we have, the higher quality tourism will attract. And, and that's really on full display here. So it's not about quantity. It's not about the full recovery. It's the fact that we're getting very high value tourists. Uh, you know, if you look at Singapore as a market, it's incredibly attractive, right? It has a growing high net worth um, you know, population. There's a lot of family offices moving there. There's a lot of business activity there. Uh, there's political stability. It's, there's strong tourism infrastructure. Uh, it's got a strategic location. All of those things are benefiting the, the Singaporean market overall. 
and, and helping drive the business that we're in. And so for us, uh, you know, there's been a, there's been a ramp from China. That's true. Um, but there's still a lot more to go. Um, it's still, you know, let's call it 50% on, on visitor arrivals. You may have heard that at some point um, they're going to go visa free this year. We're hopeful that that actually occurs, which, you know, there's no way to know exactly how beneficial that will be, but it can't hurt. But I think the key thing is it's just a very attractive market, but it really, the, the results you see in this quarter in a building that was really under construction didn't have its full suite complement and didn't really have a lot of the amenities that we'll have in halfway through 24 and 25, you know, I, I think really speaks to the capability of the market and where this building can go. You heard Rob in his remarks about our view of the trajectory of this business. We're very bullish on it, but I think it's really just about high value tourism. I wouldn't look at the absolute number of visitor arrivals and use it as a determining factor for where the business can go. I think Patrick's comments are spot on, Steve. I, I, we have limited, we have capacity constrained building at MBS. Unfortunately, we only have so many rooms and suites, which we had 10 times as much, but we don't. So the mass, the mass market tourism isn't as important to us as the right tourists in the market. We look at this asset as a $2 billion asset today, annualized EBITDA, but we believe it can grow 10 to 20% over the next three or four years. And then hopefully, if we can finalize it, our, our plans with the government, once the government blesses another building, like we believe that that could open later this year and make us a $3 billion projected EBITDA by end of decade in Singapore. So we see ourselves now at two, going to two, 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 three, two, four, and eventually stepping up to $3 billion. We see huge growth in this asset. It's just beginning. Uh, we got obviously ham uh, hampered by COVID, but to watch it grow like it's growing, our only disappointment in Singapore is we just don't have more space because it's a very desirable market. And that building, probably the most valuable in hotel building ever built in the world, and will just accelerate in the next three, four, five years until hopefully we can tell you with finality we have a deal in phase two. Makes sense. It's all helpful. Thanks so much. Best of luck. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Carlo Santarelli from Deutsche Bank. Carlo, your line is live. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Hey, guys. Um, Rob, you, you touched on it a little bit just there, but I, I was wondering, um, obviously, there's a ton of moving parts with COVID and everything else, but, you know, a billion dollars in phase one at Marina Bay Sands, returns on that product look to be very favorable. Um, $750 million over 2024 and into 2025. I was wondering how you think about returns there. And then to your point there at the end of your last comments, <clears throat> when do you expect to kind of have an update around around the timing and and perhaps the the spend on, on the larger yep. scale project there. I'll just reiterate how much we believe in Singapore as a market. My comments about three billion dollars we actually believe is very attainable when we open this new building late in the decade. As for the update, Patrick's been right right in the middle of that. So Patrick, please take it away in terms of uh, phase two Singapore. Yeah, I think you know it's a, it's an interesting comment. I think. The key thing for us is that we are an investment-driven story, right? So the more we invest in high-quality assets, the better service levels we have, the more we're going to have pricing, the more we're going to differentiate our product, the more we're going to have high-value tourists, and the more our EBITDA margins will grow. And so you're, you're seeing that happen in real time in Singapore. And, and so for us, I think, you know, we'll finish the, the third tower by Chinese New Year next year. Uh, that $750 million will go in. We'll still have some amenities that have to be done across parts of 25, 
But by the mid part of 25, we're basically going to have what is, a, a, in effect, a brand new building. It's going to be fully renovated. and You'll get to see the full power of the suite product on the rolling side. You get to see the power of the premium mass and all the amenities that we have, the shopping, the entertainment, all the things that we're adding in terms of our premium mass lifestyle program that you can't get anyplace else. These are all very positive things. And the quality of these amenities makes customers want to be repeat visitors. And so for us, these investments will drive very high returns. That's the reason why we're, why we were willing to do them. That's the reason why the board was supportive. You know, you can see the, the trajectory of EBITDA now. We're not even done. So we think Tower 3 will be very accretive uh, in terms of investment. You heard the, the numbers Rob just mentioned. We're very confident in those numbers. We feel very strongly that that's where we should be going. And then in terms of the, the next building, IR2, we've been in, in very close discussions with the government over many months. There's a lot of moving parts here, a lot of things we have to satisfy. This is a project of national significance. We want to make sure that everyone's comfortable with it and that we get all the proper approvals. And we're hoping in the next quarter or two that we'll get everything done. Uh, we've been making good progress. We've been visiting Singapore, uh, and we feel very confident where we are. And hopefully we'll be able to get uh, all the green lights we need, and we'll be able to get going soon. That's all I need. Thank you, guys. Helpful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Carl. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Sean Kelly from Bank of America. Sean, your line is live. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, wanted, wanted to offer my congrats to uh, to Grant on the promotion as well. Um, and, and maybe speaking of promotions, um, you know, Grant or whoever, if you could comment a little bit just on the promotional environment. I mean, I think this is a big question or theme that came out of the quarter, you know, uh, last quarter, um, and just sort of what you're seeing, particularly the upper end of the premium mass segment right now. And in general, are premium mass market margins consistent with your pre-COVID expected ranges, or are they still a little bit below that? and what would it take for them to recover? Thanks. Grant? Sean, that yeah, was good, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sean, for the question. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think if you look at the competitive uh, landscape, uh, of course, um, it is very intense at, at the premium mass uh, segment. Um, but if you look at also uh, at our margin structure, I think the way we've uh, driven our business is, is no different from before, which is to really drive and elevate the product um, and, and to drive the, the content and, and the, the, the events that we put on um, across a whole range of uh, sectors uh, to attract uh, visitors and patrons. Um, and I do think that, um, back to Patrick's uh, opening comment, if you look at that margin progression, underlying margin grew another 100 basis points. Um, we actually saw um, a, a good improvement in, in our mass margin uh, sequentially. Um, so, you know, we, we, are, we are dealing with the competitive market as, as any competitor does. Uh, it, it is intense, uh, but we believe strongly that in the end, uh, product wins. Um, and Londoner and Grand Suites at Four Seasons are true uh, living, evolving testaments of, of that argument that good product wins. And there are going to be fluctuations in the competitive intensity in particular segments uh, at different points in time. But to have a sustainable competitive advantage and sustainable profitable growth, uh, product and service and the content we put into the resort calendar are still going to trump everything else. 
Um, and you can see that um, through through what we've done at the Londoner. It's already at a run rate of close to 800 million as it was exiting the year. Um, and you can see that the way this is going, uh, we, we will end up with a margin structure, uh, as we already are in Q4, um, at back to the same level as we were in 2019. And then as the revenues continue to grow, um, you, you should uh, logically ex uh, expect that margin to continue to improve and therefore exceed uh, where we were in, in 2019. Sean, can I just follow up on Grant's comments? My experience has always been the same. Regardless of the market, great buildings and great experiences always prevail. We have those in Macau. If you look at our EBITDA in Q3, I believe our EBITDA exceeded our next two competitors combined, which is a, quite a statement to the power of our buildings. There'll be promotional issues occasionally here and there, but in the end, we have a structural advantage which can't be undermined. We have more capacity for lodging, food and beverage, retail, entertainment, and gaming capacity. Anybody in Macau by a bunch, and that will enable us to prevail both on margin and EBITDA basis. And so, yes, there'll be occasionally a, a promotional issue here and there, but it really shouldn't uh, concern you as far as our business. Our margins remain intact, and our dominance remain intact in all segments in Macau. Thank you both for that. And then uh, maybe just as my as a quick follow-up, um, you know, last quarter it was mentioned, you know, Grant, I think in one of your comments or one of your responses, a little bit about a bit of an uneven recovery we were seeing coming out of some of the source markets from, you know, broader mainland China as some of the air travels reopening. W wondering if we're continuing to see that uneven recovery um, or just any other broader signs of, the kind of where the macro situation sits in China, because so far, and again, seems to be continuing through January, seems like Macau is relatively unaffected there. Uh, but I wanted sort of an update on that, you know, on that trajectory, if you could give one. Sure, Sean. I, I think if you look at fourth quarter, it did even out quite a bit. I think if you look at Dan's um, visitation from non-Guangdong uh, versus Guangdong slides, um, Page 20. we are catching up. Yeah, thanks, Dan. We're, we're, we're catching up uh, significantly uh, on on the uh, recovery rate in, in non-Guangdong. That said, it, it is still uneven in the sense that if you look at the breakdown by province, uh, some of the wealthier uh, provinces uh, have recovered way beyond uh, uh, pre-COVID levels of visitations, uh, particularly in the um, Yangtze River Delta um, versus even, even Guangdong, the, the recovery rate is, is actually much higher. But overall, I think you can see uh, an evening out in, in terms of the recovery rate in Guangdong versus non-Guangdong. And then also, I, I think the fourth quarter, the overseas, the foreign country visitation also started to, to accelerate and, and even out as well against the, um, uh, the, the nearby region uh, source markets. So I think you are seeing um, I think a progressive improvement across across all these source markets. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe Wilfred, I don't know if you have anything to add on the um, on the China side in terms of the, um, the the economy. Yeah, uh, Sean, China is still recovering from the tough COVID period, and. Um, but what is evident is the company's quarterly performance has actually been trending well. Uh, we have seen, as uh, 
Grant alluded to, uh, uh, healthy growth in the number of visitors, especially from the non-Kwangtung region. Now, one observation is that uh, when long-haul travels of Chinese travelers has not fully recovered, Macau is emerging as a top tourist destination for short-haul travelers from the Chinese mainland. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Chad Bainam from Macquarie. Chad, your line is live. Please go ahead. Afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. I uh, wanted to ask one just about the retail portfolio. Um, we've been hearing and seeing a little bit of pressure just kind of in the luxury retail space, particularly in Asia, uh, based on the numbers that you uh, put out and, and I guess the, uh, the turnover rent that you collected. Uh, you're not seeing that, but how are you thinking about the recovery in retail? Um, are you getting the right customers in there now? And do you think this could continue to improve as visitation and overall spend improves in 25 or 24? Thank you. If you look at your deck on, I think it's page 28 and 29, it gives you a pretty good uh, look at our retail portfolio in Asia. And be blunt about it, uh, I could be unhappy with these numbers. Almost $3,000 a foot in a 600,000 foot mall at uh, MBS. Venetia, almost 2,000 a foot with 800,000 feet. And of course, $9,200 a foot at the Four Seasons Luxury and a mere 4,300 a foot on the non-luxury. So the answer is we are seeing a retail portfolio that's approaching $700 million of contribution and growing. Um, of course, there's uh, discussions out there about a slowdown uh, globally, um, but it looks to me that our, I spoke to David the other night, our retail expert, and it feels like we continue to see opportunity to re-merchandise and get better and better at the retail segment. Um, we still believe that retail is a long way to go. Our buildings are a little different than other retail in that we attract a higher value customer, both in Macau and Singapore, as you reference the lack of supply in, in, in Singapore. So the, I think that mall just keeps appreciating and uh, we keep re-merchandising it to be more effective every day, more luxurious, uh, more upscale. In Macau, we've got a work cut out for us in some of our buildings, not there yet in the Parisian. Uh, there's some work to be done, but I don't know how you can argue with these kind of results, $677 million of contribution, uh, and it just keeps accelerating. Uh, it, it compares very favorably with 2019, so we feel very bullish about our retail prospects. Uh, and again, it, it takes work. David Sylvester constantly re-merchandises, rethinks, and reassesses the portfolio. He's got a lot of work to do. But the numbers, I think, are stellar, and I think will continue to be stellar for years to come. Thanks, Rob. Makes sense. Um, and then just in terms of the, the hold, um, understanding that, you know, it's it's kind of random here in terms of luck or unlucky, has there been any difference in terms of gameplay or, you know, you talk about kind of the recovery from the Chinese consumer, um, and I'm speaking of, of Singapore, but hold has been high now for three quarters. Um, so is, is there anything that could kind of lead to maybe an elevated hold in that market uh, in the near term, or should we expect kind of the, the, the reversion to the mean that we've seen in, in prior quarters and years? Thanks. I think 
think it's safe to say this business always runs on mathematics. The mathematics prevail, and I wouldn't take three quarters as a an ongoing trend forever. There'll be a, a dark day in Singapore. We'll miss by seventy million dollars because we take the highest volume players in the world, and the, the people bet. Uh, lots of money, and some days it goes with you, and some days it doesn't. This quarter, obviously, in Singapore went with us, but I would caution you. I don't think it's, a, it's the betters are changing. Uh, in fact, if anything, is, there's more of them, more affluence coming out of uh, Asia, and we're fortunate enough to have the capacity to handle all of it. But I don't think you can point to a, a, a change in betting patterns in either jurisdiction that would elevate or, or uh, hurt uh, the whole percentage. It will be reverts the mean always. And Macau will come back next quarter probably in, and do $70 million higher, and Singapore may have a bad quarter. Uh, Grant, do uh, you have any comment on that? Uh, that's how I see it. Uh, that's exactly right, Rob. And, and people have uh, relatively short memories, but in the fourth quarter of 2022, uh, there's like a $100 million plus adjustment on the uh, downward um, impact uh, from low-holded Marina Bay Sands. So, I think one or two, three, four, even five quarters is actually a relatively short period of time and, and sample size um, for you not to get, you know, potentially very random results that deviate from, from the expected normal hold. Um, but I think it's fair to say, yeah, the mathematics always prevail. And given the, the scale of our, of our business, you know, over time, over one year, two years, um, should stay very much um, within the expected range. Um, as, as you saw in, in, in Macau as well, we had the first three quarters holding um, significantly above uh, the expected uh, mean uh, hold, and then fourth quarter reversed. And for the whole year, we, we end up at, at about 3.3%, which is exactly where we, we expect it to be. Yeah, John, going back... Yeah, just for fun, going back, I don't know, maybe eight, ten years ago, we had a horrific uh, number of quarters in a row due to a few players. I think it was Indonesia or Malaysia, and lost. We lost obscene amounts of money quarter after quarter to them. And some people on our board were concerned, and they wanted to be sure. And we talked, we looked at everything, and we were very comfortable. And there was a belief there for about for a while that these people were magical and couldn't be beaten. Then they lost back their entire winnings and then some. It always goes that way. I, I don't think you can ever get too emotional about this quarter. is very interesting to see the Macau miss and the Singapore overachieving. But in the end, the games stay consistent. Pairs and ties versus straight bets do matter. But the Asian gambler is special, and he or she shows up consistently, and, they, and they're you know, great customers. I wouldn't let the success of a few quarters uh, change your views on the mathematics of Bakwat. We don't. So, thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Robin Farley from UBS. Robin, your line is live. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. Um, two questions, if I could squeeze it in. Um, one is just any comments on um, Chinese New Year upcoming, anything with trends uh, approaching that. And then totally unrelated, um, just your latest expectations for timing of a decision um, in New York. Thanks. I'll take New York first, Robin. Um, the governor, Governor Hochul, I think it was this week, commented on uh, making seeing something happen this year. I hope that's true. We're, you know, as you know, our, we've been working in New York uh, for quite a long time. 
uh, and we think we have a very compelling bid, but we don't have any great insight if that'll happen or not. We sure hope the governor is correct, and either way, win or lose, we get a decision calendar year 24. That's our hope, but I think it'd be silly to tell you of any insight beyond the governor's comments. I I, uh, I think we just we work very hard in this project. We believe we have a really good chance of getting one, but I don't give you I couldn't give you any guidance beyond that. Grand Chinese New Year's. Do you think we'll be anybody there for that? Will that be? <laughs> will the year of the dragon bring anybody to the building? I hope so. <laughs> well, the well, Robin. I mean, we we're, can't really comment on the the current quarter, and obviously uh, booking windows are short here. But I I think you can see, um, you know, from the December holidays, in these peak holiday periods, even though the end of uh, December is, is not a big uh, China holiday. Um, it is in Hong Kong and, and some other parts of the region, uh, but you know the the, the ramp up uh, in demand during those peak periods uh, was was tremendous. So hopefully uh, that that will be replicated through uh, into this Chinese New Year as well. So um, that, that there is a lot of uh, optimism and expectations that that this this will be a strong one. Yes, Robert, I do think this summer was Robert. I think this summer was really Great tell of what might happen in Chinese December numbers that closed were just terrific. And again, you see the market numbers for January. So we're very hopeful that the year of Dragon is a huge year for us and for the market. Great, thank you. And um, Grant, congratulations on the new role. Thanks. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Grant Montour from Barclays. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so in, in Singapore on the phase two, uh, I was wondering if you could um, maybe remind us the total room count exiting the year and then specifically with regards to disruption cadence, you know, what does the quarter to quarter and, and overall year look like in terms of how that'll flow through the, um, the P&L? Patrick, you want to grab that? Yeah, so, yeah sure. So. I think when we finished the year, we were around 2,200 keys available. Um, next year, because of the construction in T3, Tower 3, uh, we're going to get down to the mid-1600s in Q3, which is probably going to be our peak of disruption. Uh, but, you know, those rooms are our smallest right now and, and really have our lowest yield. So hopefully the impact will be minimal and we'll be able to yield because of the compression to higher value customers. You know, the performance in Marina Bay Sands has been quite good, and you think we'll be able to yield up in the renovated portion of the building. Uh, sorry, what was the rest of your question? And, and sorry, so then the ending the ending key count when all is said and done with suites and normal rooms? Uh, it, it's uh, mid-1800s. Mid-1800s, perfect, okay. And then as a quick follow-up, um, just a, a broader question. Um, we haven't really talked about non-gaming spending. I was just curious if you could give us an uh, update on your efforts on that front and maybe um, how your outlook has evolved for uh, the return profile as we sort of go into 24 uh, on non-gaming spend. When you say non-gaming, can you be more specific? Are you talking retail, food and beverage, hotel? Of course, sorry about that. Yeah, with regards to the concession agreements. Oh, I see, okay. Uh, I'm gonna grant handle that, but I would, I would say we are a little bit different than the rest of our competitors in terms of we've been spending money aggressively in Macau forever for 20 years on on entertainment and other things. We believe in it. It's a huge value add. Uh, I'll let Grant take the question specifically, but I think, again, it's important to note we are a different animal 
than other people in terms of this concession. We welcome it. We've been doing it before the concession mandate. I think it's been very beneficial to our company. Grant? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, I think in 2023, we, we, we went um, very intensely on investing across all of the non-gaming uh, categories that we committed to in, in the concession. Um, as Rob said, uh, many of these uh, categories are um, categories that we have been investing in and uh, involved in for a very long time. So I, I think whether you look across uh, entertainment, uh, we, we had uh, almost 80 shows that, that, that we put on uh, during 2023 um, with some amazing uh, record runs, uh, attendance, uh, obviously, firstly, with the, the Jackie uh, Chern concert in, in Kota Arena, and then towards the end of the year, uh, Hins uh, Chern, a singer in, in, um, in Hong Kong, and had a, had a great 14-show run at, at the Londoner. Uh, so this probably uh, set a new uh, standard uh, and precedent for, for many residencies uh, in Macau. And then across other categories in, in mice, in art and culture, um, in, in themed attractions, um, in gastronomy, uh, across the board we've been investing heavily. Uh, I should also give a chance uh, to, to Wilfred to, to speak to some of those uh, events and projects that, that we've been heavily uh, investing in as well. Uh, but suffice to say, versus our original forecast uh, for what we would invest in the first year of the 10 years, um, we, we greatly exceeded that uh, during, during 2023, um, and we're looking to, to, to do so again uh, in, in 2024. Um, Wilfred, I don't know if something uh, you want to add to, to the non-gaming concession and investments we're making. Yeah, we we have uh, in the past years been investing heavily in in the areas that Grant just described, and by a long way off, we are the leader in the mice market. So we are still uh, seeing a very strong uh, presence of mice activities in our properties. Uh, for non-gaming, uh, apart from the shows, uh, we've been helping uh, to promote Macau as a, a destination. Uh, not just for gaming, uh, therefore we have a lot of art exhibitions, cultural shows uh, that uh, really uh, put uh, uh, us apart from the, the other competitors. Great, very helpful, thanks all. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is coming from David Katz from Jefferies. David, your line is live, please go ahead. Hi, evening, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I'll ask uh, sort of both in one shot. If I could follow up on the, the share of purchases, you know, Patrick, not asking about how much or when, but just thinking about how um, you know the the sort of family stake, um, you know, takes a long-term view and where you'd like to be or how we might think about that evolving uh, over time. And then second. You know, since we last, um, you know, spoke on an earnings call, there's there's been an awful lot of activity and focus in Texas. And if you could, you know, share some of your views and theses around, you know, what, uh, what, you know, what the family's activities and how that might relate to the company and and you know shareholders, um, 
you know, that would be helpful as well. Thanks. Sure. So, I, you know, I think first off, I think we see value in both equities. Uh, so we're very long-term bullish. Um, you know, from a company standpoint, we're going to continue to be aggressive, as you said before, you know, focusing on investment for growth. You see the success of our um, capital allocation programs, both in Macau, as Grant just described, and in Singapore, in driving growth in high-value tourism, in, in diversifying our amenities, and, and by creating margin and revenue expansion. So, you know, we're very focused on investment for growth. That being said, we generate a lot of free cash flow, and we anticipate to generate free cash flow in the future that we'll be able to use to return capital to shareholders. So I think the company will look to be aggressive and measured over time uh, as we return capital share through share purchases to shareholders. I, I think, you know, we've always had a dividend, um, you know, aside from the pandemic, and I think we like having a dividend. We think it's helpful for shareholder returns. Uh, we think it's an important component of our uh, overall, you know, shareholder value strategy. But that being said, we're going to be overweight to share our purchases. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of Texas, I, I think the most important thing is that Las Vegas Sands is actively, um, you know, trying to facilitate the development of integrated resorts in the state of Texas and through the legalization of gaming. And so we're very excited about it. We think it's an unbelievable market. Um, over time, we hope that it happens. I can't tell you when it's going to be. Uh, but we're very focused on it as a company, uh, and we'd like the opportunity to develop some very unique tourism assets, uh, specifically in Dallas. Uh, you know, we think that's a great market. Um, we've been very focused on it, and we think the opportunity there would be a great one. Uh, in, in terms of the family's activities in Texas, I think we like the state. Uh, we're very obviously happy with our investment there. We're very excited about it, and uh, we'll look to be a part of the business community there. But in terms of LVS, we're very focused on bringing uh, integrated resource or destiny resource to the state of Texas uh, and the development opportunity that would exist there. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Dan Pulitzer from Wells Fargo. Dan, your line is live. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to follow up on, on, on Sense China and, and as it relates to capital allocation. Uh, your net leverage there, I think, is, is, is around three times at this point. It should be much lower than that as you kind of make your way through 2024. How do you think about, you know, the, the subsidiary there resuming dividend payments up to the parent? And then obviously your, your stake went up a little bit through the quarter um, through those, that repurchase. So maybe does that incentivize some, some, some of those dividends coming up sooner than later? Thanks. Hey, if it's okay, I'll, I'll take that one. I think I, I think the key thing here, as I just mentioned in the in the prior question, and as Grant mentioned, as Wilford mentioned, you know we're very committed to investing in the long term in Macau, and so our primary focus is going to be deploying capital there for growth. Uh, that being said, we are generating uh, meaningful free cash flow there, uh, as we did in this last quarter. And I think what you'll look to see over time is that some of the leverage that we put on the balance sheet uh, during the pandemic will defease. So we have a maturity coming up in 25. We'll look to defeat some of that um, in front of the refinancing. And uh, our, our goal is really to bring leverage down in terms of quantum. But then also our leverage is going to come in naturally uh, as our EBITDA expands over time, uh, you know, which is our expectation. So, you know, I, I think once that occurs, we're going to start looking to begin the dividend again uh, at the Sands China level. Uh, that's something that's going to be determined by uh, the board there. But I think overall uh, it's something that we'd like to see. And I think the, the goal is to begin that dividend uh, in the years ahead. Uh, it was a very strong dividend pair in prior years pre-pandemic, and we'd like to become an investment-grade name there, keep that investment-grade rating, 
invest for the future in terms of scale and scope to grow our business there, and then uh, you know return excess capital uh, through dividends uh, to shareholders there. So that's the plan. Got it. Thanks. And then just for my follow-up, um, as you think about Macau, we've talked a bit about um, the margins and the improvement. It more or less has been about 100 basis points quarter over quarter. As you think about kind of the trajectory from here, and, and I know you're, you're on pace to get back to those 2019 levels, you know, what, how should we think about maybe the pacing of improvement? And do you think, you know, that, that operating expense um, structure is really in place at this point? You should benefit from, from, from scale here on out. I have one quick comment that I'd like to turn it to Grant. You know, we, we've mentioned this a few times in the past couple quarters. I think the story of our, our margin expansion in Macau is going to be based on revenue growth. You know, as the market continues to recover, as tourism continues to recover, as more high-value tourists come online, they see the types of high-quality offerings we have, they experience the, the amenities and the, the entertainment that Grant referenced earlier, we're going to continue to grow and expand our customer base. And that will lead to pricing, that will lead to expansion, that will lead to revenue growth. So from that standpoint, I think our long-term margin view is expansion because of the investment and because of what we just described. Um, but, you know, I'll turn it over to Grant to see if he has, has some additional comments. Yeah, Patrick, I, I think you, you covered it well. I think it's, it's dependent on revenue growth as the market continues to grow and will be more than a full participant in that market growth. Um, the margins will, will have a positive trajectory. I think we, we obviously... Uh, have a more efficient uh, and more productive um, cost structure uh, today than, than than we did in 2018 and 2019. Uh, so we will we are uh, benefiting from that as revenues grow um, and you get the operating leverage on the fixed costs. Uh, we will continue to do so, um, and I, I think it, it is very much about you know how revenues uh, grow from here. Um, and as revenues grow, uh, our margins will, will have further upside. Got it. Thanks, and uh, congratulations on the promotion, Grant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question is coming from George Choi from City. George, your line is live. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for uh, taking my questions. Uh, my questions were uh, answered earlier, but do you have a um, housekeeping question? Um, would you please remind us how the total rent mechanism works at the Macau properties? Uh, should we expect a normal uptick in the quarter? That is when you guys receive the total rent. Thank you very much. I'll jump back to the queue. I'm sorry, George. I think we missed that. Could you repeat yourself? It was unclear. There was some difficulty static with line. static. Yes. Can you try it again, George, about Macau? Apologies. Um, so I just wonder uh, how the turnover rent mechanism works in uh, in the Macau properties. Um, uh, is it the uh, fourth quarter event? Uh, uh, is that when you receive your turnover rent? Yeah. Grant, do you want to handle the fourth quarter turnover in retail? Uh, George, uh, there are leases that are on monthly turnover rents, and there are leases that are on annual turnover rents. Uh, so historically, what happens is uh, for those annual turnover rent leases, um, as as we get into third quarter, the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, uh, we will we will obviously be recognizing more of those uh, turnover rents uh, as we hit uh, the annual uh, sales uh, targets. Uh, so historically, you should expect seasonally the second half 
um, of the uh, retail rental revenues will be higher than the, than the first half. Okay, understood. That's all I have. Thank you very much. Uh, before we finalize the call, I just want to uh, reach out and recognize the great contributions of Wilfred Wong, who is now Executive Vice Chair. Wilfred has been with us about eight years and made a great contribution. Wilfred, congratulations on the elevation to Executive Vice Chair. Uh, Grant Chun, uh, well-deserved. We hired Grant many years ago. The big concern was, was he old enough to win the casino at that time? And over the years, we've aged him sufficiently so he can now go in the casino. Congratulations to Grant. Uh, both of you guys have built a terrific team over there. We're very proud and grateful for your efforts and look forward to many more years of working together. Thank you for your time today, interest in our company. Uh, we bid you adieu.